On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, which doctrinal hills do I die on? Eh, more of them. Also, the key that unlocks all wisdom for us and a new food discovery. It's episode three. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor at Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. Today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom is dedicated to peanut M&Ms just because they're delicious. Listen, this is a sugar snack that actually has a satisfying taste. How often, people? How often? Do you get to eat a snack and walk away feeling good and not like you just ate cotton candy? Also, I just want to mention that uh, peanut M&Ms are possibly overtaking Mr. Goodbar as my go-to chocolate treat. Uh, co-host Pastor Ben, do you agree about the peanut M&Ms or is this going to be a point of contention between us? Uh, I can be in doctrinal fidelity with peanut M&Ms. <laughs> there is unity in the bride of Christ. This is beautiful. All right, well, guys, let's get into uh, the the book of Proverbs, because that is, as we've said in previous episodes, one of the most densely packed pills of wisdom that has ever been created, and God put it right here in the Bible for us. So, here we go. Today, we're going to take a look at the beginning of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1, verses... 1 through 7. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here what we have is the key to receiving wisdom. I mean, if we're hungry for wisdom, if we're going to pursue it in any sense, uh, what Solomon is saying here is that we have to assume the proper posture. And so what he does is he gives us the reason that he writes the book. Look, I want to communicate wisdom to people. I want to give knowledge. I want to give instruction. And I want you to be able to receive it. So he gives us the key to that. If you have the humility to place yourself in any of the categories that he lists out, what happens is the book of Proverbs opens up to you, right? So what he's saying is in kind of a poetic way, you have to approach the book of Proverbs with humility, If you're going to approach this as like the master of everything, if you're going to say, look, I got the world locked down and this is going to give me more power than I already have. And you're like some kind of, you know, superhero or like super villain from a superhero movie. You're like, I will take his wisdom and it will increase me. That's not going to get you what Solomon was was providing here. right? If you want that, go read some Voltaire. Go read some atheist philosophers that are just going to tell you how to increase your own station in uh, in life and in in your own um, uh, pride. You can promote yourself endlessly. But if you're going to gain wisdom from God's word, and specifically here from the book of Proverbs, humility is the precursor to godly wisdom. Think about it this way. God's wisdom is found at his feet, not at eye level with him. All right, if you're going to gain wisdom from God, you get low. You assume a posture of worship. The word worship, I I really like um, some of these word studies. Sometimes they can get a little out of hand, but sometimes just the, the dictionary definition of a word is like the most helpful thing in the world for understanding what's being said. And the Hebrew word for worship is shachah, which means to lay face down. 
So when we are in a worshipful posture before God, when we are humble before our God, then Solomon is saying, okay, that's that's who I'm writing to. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we must lower ourselves in order to be eligible for the lessons of God. Check out verse 3. Verse 3 says, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Notice the receiving. Okay, This is something that you do when uh, you are dependent on somebody for something. You guys ever heard that saying that the two most powerful words you're ever going to hear are thank you? Well, the reason for that is because when you say thank you to somebody, you are acknowledging that they added something to you. You're, you're saying, I've benefited from you in some way. And so we have to be in this posture of receiving, of receiving specifically with, with gratitude. And with, uh, with wisdom, you have to receive before you give, right? You can't, you can't give from an empty tank. You can only give out of an abundance. And so you first have to receive wisdom if you're going to display it in the world and live with it. So that's why no one respects an overtalker, right? The overtalker is the guy that, <laughs> yeah, says the guy running the podcast that just wants to talk and throw it out on this, on the, the this, you know, on cyberspace. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, I just point out my hypocrisy right there. But no one respects an overtalker because all he wants to do is give. He doesn't want to receive, right? And we know inherently that's not a respectable characteristic. So Solomon says, hey, if you want to be wise, don't be like that. I think it was uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. At least this is attributed to him. He said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Right. And, you know, he was he was right about that. We those of us that have seen this cycle complete itself a number of times. Right. We know that the quiet guy in the room isn't the foolish guy. In fact, like I'm, I'm a talker. Right. It's, sorry. That's just the way it is. You know, and God created me to do this. And sometimes I don't do it all, you know, all that great. I talk when I shouldn't. But I'm telling you guys, when I'm in a room with somebody that doesn't talk all that much, but they look and they listen and they ask questions and stuff like that, I've got a feeling that person's smarter than me. And sometimes it's an encouragement for me to just kind of like zip it, you know? So look at uh, verse five and he'll go along along the same lines here. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Okay, so if you're wise... Right? You, you hear two two ears, one mouth, take the hint. You know, that's all he's saying here. It's just good, solid, street-level wisdom. Back to verse 4, he says to give prudence to the simple. That's how we're, he, he's describing his audience, the simple. To give knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, I think in the NASB it says to give knowledge and discretion to the naive. Right. So let's take a moment and identify ourselves in those categories. Right. If, if you don't identify yourself as somewhat simple, that you, you think you're smart, you think you got it all figured out, that disqualifies you from being part of Solomon's audience. In other words, he ain't talking to you. Okay? I did a, uh, a, I taught a missions class um, years ago, and I was, I was telling the men, in, you know, and I was a little bit direct with them because I was talking to the men. I wouldn't talk to ladies this way, but I was like, you know, get your rear in gear. And it was kind of one of those mobilizing type of things, right? And so some of the ladies were like, gosh, he was really harsh. I don't know about that. And my, my thought was, well, yeah, if I was at a women's conference, I would speak differently, right? But I had a, a target audience. Solomon here has a target audience, and it's the people who know that they don't have it all figured out. So if you approach the book of Proverbs as, as though you already know this stuff, you're going to miss it completely because he's going to package it in a way that's intended for somebody other than you. He's not speaking the language of the proud. Okay, Proverbs won't make sense to you. If you approach it with pride, because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. 
So youth and simplicity, and he's, he's going to give knowledge and discretion to people who consider themselves to be children, right? Now remember, you are a child of God. I don't care how old you are, you're not older than your father, okay? And your heavenly father deserves to be listened to. So think about Solomon's prayer. That, what was this? Episode 2, I think it was, where we went over Solomon's prayer in, uh, in 1 Kings 3. And God showed up to him and said, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And he said, I need wisdom. Because I am a little child. And he said, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. How can I judge this great people that you have chosen? And so he considered himself a child in front of his father, God, and God blessed him with wisdom. And what Solomon is saying here as he writes this book is, hey guys, uh, I didn't do everything right, but I did that right. Follow me like like that. Okay, Consider yourself to be in the position of a child before the Heavenly Father. And that's that's the playbook, right? You approach the pursuit of wisdom as a child. Verse 7, the last verse we read in this section, gives you a contrast. He says, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So now, fear, in the Old Testament specifically, um, but the whole Bible really, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about you being afraid because he's around, right? Like, when when you realize the presence of God, you try to get away because you're afraid he's going to harm you. It's not that kind of fear. What we're saying is, like, the person who has the fear of the Lord means you don't screw around with God, right? You don't put him on trial. You don't evaluate him. You don't question him. You don't hold him to your standard. Instead, when he speaks, you listen. When he's loud, you're quiet, right? When he gives, you receive. When you disagree, hey, Pastor Ben, what do we teach our people? What do you do when you disagree with God? You change your mind, right? I don't know. <laughs> I should just shut up and let you answer that. How about that? That would be a wise thing. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, we're learning here, people. <laughs> follow me as I follow Christ, all right? We're, we're learning. Amen. Yeah. So the idea of fear simply means reverence. It means respect. And it means that you should honestly be trembling and afraid if you're on his bad side. But we're his children. We don't need to fear our father that way because he's not abusive. So that's that's the the one who receives knowledge. The fear of Yahweh qualifies you to sit at the feet of God's wisdom. So that's the beginning of wisdom. The fool, on the other hand, he stiff arms all of that. He says, nope, I'm good. I'll figure it out. I'm my own man. I'll do my own thing. I'll drive my own car with my own sense of direction. You keep your map to yourself. And uh, the Bible's really clear about where that ends you look at galatians 5 for example he says look the works of the flesh are evident you know and then he just goes through a list of hey if you're leading your own life in the desires of the flesh it's going to end up looking like boom 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 and he just gives all these markers and he's a thousand percent right you know so the the fool says i can recreate this own wheel for my i can recreate this uh, this wheel for myself you know i can set my own course and run my own process and that will end me in wisdom. And Solomon's like, bro, we've, we've all tried it. You know, just give up, abandon all hope, listen to God, sit at his feet. And it's like the, the way up is down, as with so many other things in the Christian life and with, with, you know, life in general. So there you go, guys. That's Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Humility before God, right? Trembling before the word of God, like Isaiah 66 says, is what what qualifies us to enter into the learning space of wisdom. So if you're hungry for wisdom, get humble. That's the key there. All right, let's uh, let's move on to some this and that, shall we? Pastor Ben, what do we got for this and that's this week? Well, speaking on wisdom, one of the questions that we have is how do you sniff out primary and secondary issues when it comes to doctrine and theology? 
Primary and secondary issues in doctrine, in, in doctrine and theology, you said? Yes. Yeah. Well, thankfully, pastors never have to struggle with that question, do we? Never. <laughs> All right, so primary and secondary issues. Some issues are worth, some hills are worth dying on, right? Yep. Okay, so what are the, what are some of the primary hills that are worth dying on? Oh, uh, anything that, that really touches the gospel, for example. Okay. So if, it, if, if in any way that particular teaching either invalidates the justification by faith alone, by, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, mm-hmm. all of those things, if it touches any one of those, then we've got issues. Yeah, yeah, I find that a lot in, in terms of just like, uh, you know, how, how does your sin get taken care of, right? We're, the way I always say it, we're separated from God by sin, and we're reunited to God through the person and work of Christ. So like with um, when I'm talking to, uh, let's say, Mormon missionaries, right? We disagree about the person of Christ and the work of Christ. You know, I say he's fully God. They say he doesn't deserve quite as much honor as God the Father. He deserves less honor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a John 5, 23 issue, right? He says, if you don't honor me as you honor the Father, you're not honoring the Father. So I say that's a primary issue. We don't get past that. That's the person of Christ. Then you got the work of Christ, right? Which um, if, if I'm talking to, let's say, a dyed-in-the-wool Roman Catholic that really understands Catholic doctrine. I don't mean somebody that, you know, just sort of, like, assumes themselves to be Catholic. I mean, like, somebody that actually has embraced the doctrines of Rome, they'll say, okay, your sins are forgiven as you take the Mass, right? Yeah. We would believe in the finished work of Christ Amen. instead. So that's the work of Christ, right? So th- those are those are gospel issues, and we, so it's like we will die on those hills. We can't hold religious unity, spiritual unity with people on opposite sides of these, these gospel issues. Right. So, I mean, what else are there? Are there primary issues that are not the, not immediately the gospel? I can see maybe if you talk about like the inerrancy of scripture or the, or or the uh, sufficiency of scripture, that could be a a primary issue because if you're trying to find other answers from anywhere else other than scripture, Mm -hmm. obviously you're going to be running into a problem. It's essentially what we've just talked about with the Proverbs section. I got to be in fear of God and under his word. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say also uh, if you're, if you're thinking that somehow the scriptures are going to be an error at some point, then your whole foundation for understanding who God is and, and really honestly, even what the gospel is, Mm -hmm. even, though it doesn't necessarily directly touch the gospel it, it undermines our confidence in what god has said yeah definitely and you know with with if we deny biblical inerrancy which we should define that in a second but the um biblical inerrancy sufficiency authority these things amen what we're doing is replacing ourselves as judge over god Ooh. right god has said this but i don't really think that's what says the snake i don't really think that's what it says maybe it's more it's and you can hear the hiss don't coming go in. there that's don't go there right right so that's that was the the trick in the garden right did god really say mm-hmm. that and, and so yeah run right let's let's define some of these terms uh biblical inerrancy Right, so the scriptures are without error, and uh, according even to, to the Chicago statement on inerrancy, would be in the original manuscripts, right? So we're understanding that as they were originally written, mm-hmm. that they are without error and exactly as God designed them to be given. We should do a whole episode on, uh, or maybe a series of episodes on, do we know what was originally written? I agree. That, that would be awesome. All That'd right, fun. I'm, I'm going to write that down. Soon. Okay, so uh, biblical inerrancy. How about biblical sufficiency? What are we talking about there? Well, the scriptures contain, uh, that the scriptures are sufficient for all of the things that pertain to life and godliness, like in First Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, we get, we get this a lot as pastors, like, you know, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about my situation. 
And we're like, well, yeah, it does, right? Maybe not specifically. Maybe there's no black and white thing. You shall take this job. You shall not buy that house or, or, you know, whatever, marry that person or something like that. But there are principles that apply and everything that you need to obey God and be pleasing to God is right there. So you use the terms life and godliness, right? Amen. Okay. Yeah. Some people would say like um, faith and practice. Faith and practice. Absolutely. Ooh, nerdy moment. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Ooh. Yeah. So now you guys are smarter. There you go. So yeah, biblical sufficiency, right? Now, when the Bible doesn't speak directly to something, then it's an area of freedom. And God has left us a lot of that, right? And sometimes that's a hard thing for people to to um, uh, wrap their head around. And, and it is honestly a hill to die on, right? Has, has God left us any decision-making ability at all? And the answer is, yeah, and you're responsible to handle it in a godly way, which is why we need wisdom, wisdom right? So yeah, th- these are these are things that we can't, budge on right what did we say uh inerrancy sufficiency authority right <laughs> it's like if you disagree with god change your mind it's biblical authority right god gets the last word his voice is the loudest one in any conversation Amen. whatever cliche you want to throw on it that's you know that, that's something nobody gets to say i see what the bible says but no right and i like i hear that a lot well, that's one of the things when I talk to people who've, who've come to faith, I say, look, really what you're saying is you're saying that this book has the authority to tell you what to do and how to live your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no other authority. You, you sit there and go, okay, yeah, the scriptures say it. This principle holds fast and holds true to, my, to me. I have to obey it. Well, and to push that forward to its logical conclusion, if you're going to argue with scripture, with the, the word of God himself, you cannot say that Christ is Lord. Amen. Right? And the primary Christian confession is, Christ is Lord. Amen. So, yeah, biblical authority is a big thing. That right there, actually, is maybe a good summary of the difference between Christianity and what we call liberal theology, right? Liberal theology uses the Bible as a starting point and, Mm -hmm. you know, a good guide. It's good advice, but it's not authoritative good news, whereas, you know— the biblical Christian with a biblical worldview would have to say, no, God's word is fixed eternally in the heavens, man. This thing ain't going anywhere. And if, if, if we're on different paths, it's up to me to adjust to the standard, to the canon of scripture. It's not up to God to adjust to me, which is, you know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so if I could interject really quick. So we're talking about, obviously, primary issues being those which touch the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Justification by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, things like that. And also the authority of scripture, its efficiency, its infall- in, in inerrancy mm-hmm. what what are some things that we might qualify as secondary issues because we talked about primary issues what might be helpful for us to understand about secondary issues well i'll tell you what let's get halfway there um i think that issues that you might disagree with this i'm not sure um issues Ooh, that could be fun <laughs> yeah hold on let me crack my knuckles so we can fight issues that are secondary in one generation may get elevated to be primary issues in another generation so i think that sometimes each generation has its fight and if we lose this we've lost it all hmm. right so in our um you know as far as like who will hold fellowship with uh you know 100 years ago if somebody was not a complementarian right they were like yeah, look, First Timothy 2, you don't really need to listen to that. It was written for somebody else, not us. We can have women be pastors and preachers and stuff like that. He would be crazy Uncle Ned in the back of the church. He wasn't really harming anybody. He just had some goofy ideas. Now, after you know third wave feminism and um, Satan's attack on femininity and trying to reverse the roles of, uh, of God's design for the home and you know everything that springs out from that, uh, it, it, it has become... A primary issue like you know we we don't get to plant a church with you 
if we're not going to agree on this, right? We will part company over some of these things. Um, but I think some of that also comes down to really the authority of Scripture. Do we really believe what Paul wrote in First Timothy is, in fact, true? In other words, not giving authority uh, to that, that a woman shall not have authority or teach or instruct inside the gathered meeting. Is, mm-hmm. that, something, is that something that we're going to submit to or we're going to try and find a cultural out for? Okay, so you're saying that's not a generational issue. That's just simply a biblical authority issue that has popped up in our generation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I can go with that. I, I, I definitely wouldn't. I'm, I'm not sure I would deny communion to someone who had a struggle with that or anything right. like that. Right. But Good if, point. But if, they were, if I were saying, hey, you want to be on my leadership team? of my mm-hmm. new church plan, I would certainly say we, we really need to clear that up and make sure that we're on the same page. Right. So what we're saying here is is context matters when it talks about what doctrinal hills we're going to die on, right? Okay, so then let's let's talk about literally dying. I mean, would we literally die for a doctrine of complementarianism? You know, maybe if it's an issue of biblical authority. If it's an issue of biblical mm-hmm. authority, if, if, if someone's trying to literally write off First Timothy, then I'd say, yeah, we probably would have to break fellowship over that yeah. because I couldn't, I can't in good conscience stand before the people of God and say, thus saith the Lord, if all of a sudden I'm going, mm, well, really it's not, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> right, right. Behind closed doors, yeah, it, it's not such a big deal. But in public, I'm, bro, I had somebody tell me once that uh, Paul was, um, that Paul had a bad relationship with his mother. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were like psychoanalyzing Paul. (laughs) I was like, well, aren't we clever? You know, we've given him these diagnoses that have acronyms that are found in the DSM somewhere. Like, that's why he was so anti-woman. I'm like, he requoted the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother, which was revolutionary speech. Like that elevated, whatever. I don't even need to get into the whole thing, but you know, we, we do the craziest things to not have to obey what God has said, because it's inconvenient. Yeah, the kind of exegetical gymnastics you have to yes. do. If, if you find yourself doing flips and, and, and all of the loop-de-loops that you have to do, you really need to stop and just take a look again. <laughs> right. Okay, what has Scripture said? Yeah. Why are you claiming the name of Christ if you're not going to listen to what he says? Anyway, right. all right, so secondary issues, and to your point. Mm-hmm. Some, some secondary issues would be um, there, there are issues surrounding uh, baptism, right, mm-hmm. where, like some guys, the, the Methodists, they'll, they'll, they'll sprinkle, you yeah. know? Me, I'm theologically, when it comes to baptism, I'm a Baptist. I'm a dunker. I'm an immerser, you know? So we're going to disagree over that. But that can be a disagreement that happens over a cup of coffee. And if an unbeliever walks in the room, we can pivot and then share the gospel with him. Right? Agreed. So, all right, so some of these more nitty-gritty things about, like, well, how do we go about the details of how we run a church, you know? Most of those are secondary issues. Now, they may necessitate a couple of separate churches being planted, Sometimes siblings need different bedrooms, right? Yeah. But we're not going to part company in the faith. These, these aren't markers of division. Yeah, and maybe even philosophical disagreements. I mean, we talked about doctrine and theology, but sometimes mm-hmm. our philosophy can become a... It can become a primary issue in a in a certain brother's mind. And so we have to be able to kind of go, okay, that that, that is more of a philosophical d- description of, of, of how you want to run like church government, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there are some churches that are, for example, pastor... Um, pastor only led when there's one guy at front and he's the dude. And then there's others that have what, where, where you and I believe are a little bit more common on is on biblical um, or not what we call biblical eldership, yeah. which is, which sounds kind of like, I just totally ripped a the rug. Diss, yeah, man. total diss on them. But the idea of multiple, multiple elders right. leading the church right. and some churches have a deacon board. Some churches have, and would we, would we split and would we, would we call a church hair, you know, apostate if they are, <laughs> you know, if they don't, don't have um, 
pastors in the multiple yeah. sense, you know, that your deacon like that. set the budget. You're out what? of the kingdom, son. Oh yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times, you know, the, uh, the secondary issues are to be found in social and political arenas, certainly, you know, as well. And, and secondary doesn't mean unimportant. Certainly not. Right. Yeah. Secondary issues can be vitally important. And the importance of these issues can again, change one generation to another. But mm-hmm. if you take an issue like, um, you know, immigration, for example, you'll have two Christians sitting next to each other, in you know, in a worship service, singing the same songs, meaning it with every bit of their heart, and they disagree on this political issue. Now, that's an important issue because we have to be good citizens, and if we if we have to preserve the country that God has entrusted to our care, and we are responsible to work as good citizens, then we really kind of can't avoid that that issue. But do we treat it as a primary issue? You know, gun control, right? BLM. I mean, whatever. These things go on and on. And it doesn't mean that they're unimportant. They might be vitally important for our day-to-day existence, but are they vitally important for, uh, you know, fellowship in the gospel? And at some point, you know, they might be. So let me throw one out here. I, I don't know your, your thoughts on this. If you take, for example, um, like the political movement of communism, right? There is the, the starting point of communism is a denial of a transcendent God to whom governments must answer right so to me that ends up being a primary issue because you can't affirm all the tenets of communism and the gospel at the same time right now somebody identifies as a communist i mean okay that could mean a lot of things maybe maybe they're informed maybe they're not i i don't know there's a lot of stuff to suss out there but is sus a word by the way i heard that and i just used it for the first time and i said i don't know like my inner dialogue was like I, I take it in today's vernacular, yeah, sus. Okay, yeah. sus, S-U-S? Yeah, it could either be to uh, to explore, or it could mean that something is suspect, right? So Okay, all right. Yeah. So yeah. context is also key. So we are on team sus here. So there's a lot of stuff to sus out when it comes to, to you know, if somebody identifies with a certain political movement, but it could be a primary issue, right? If if somebody comes in and says, um, you know, like, okay, the, the Great Commission, actually, this just happened down in uh, Nashville. We were down there for the SBC thing. I was having a conversation with this guy, and he said, the Great Commission is about justice. And the whole thing was like, okay, well, what's your definition of justice? Mm. And he, his answer to that was um, setting wrong or setting right everything that has ever been wronged, which means making restitution to anybody or any group who has been wronged. And so he was talking about racial quotas and churches and so on. And I'm like, somewhere something got lost in the sauce here. I don't think Jesus died for 50%, you know, uh, uh, racial <laughs> um, attendance, you know? Well, well and I see where when, when you get something like that, they're also, again, they're attempting to redefine the gospel in some ways. Yeah. Right. So the question, again, the gospel is how does, how is someone saved? How is someone made right before God? Now, is it, is it whether or not they perform certain actions or deeds or establish some kind of justice or is it, is it something else? Now that's not to say that when we're Christians, we don't seek after these things. Mm-hmm. We don't seek after caring for our neighbor and, and loving those who are oppressed and all those kinds of things. But to make it a primary issue, like, oh, you need to in order to be justified. Right. Or if you start even, uh, I've, I've heard it said, I believe this was, oh gosh, that's going to totally get me in trouble. I think it might have been Tim Keller said something to the effect of, if you don't get these things, I'm not sure if you get the gospel. Yeah. And that's a concern I have mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, well, I, I, and I, and I, and I want to give him all benefit of the doubt uh, when, when he had that conversation, I understand the context of it, but does this blanket say you're not, if you're not with us on social justice, I don't know if you get the gospel. 
that's a problem. Did he say that? I, I, How about that? I, I, I want to think it was, I want to think it was him, but uh, again, I want to be all deference to my brother, but I remember sure. that, that causing a kerfuffle, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a big word that's for a fantastic a, word. That's an awesome a, yeah, word. A vituperative kerfuffle at that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> all right. But, but in the sense of if you're trying to redefine the gospel or, or draw those lines. So just, just because someone thinks differently than you on a particular issue that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can draw lines where God has not drawn lines, right? We're, we're yeah. really, really good at that. It's what yeah. we call legalism, and it's kind of our go-to move. So there are um, there are other issues that kind of spring up out of nowhere, and the question in the church has to be, is this a primary issue or is this a secondary issue? And there's no clear answer. So, for example, um, in recent history, we have had our governors saying, uh, you're not allowed to gather. And it's like, huh. So what's the Christian response to that? And there's a robust discussion about it, right? So right at the beginning, I think the most helpful thing to me that came out of that at the beginning of the um, corona shutdown was something Al Mohler said in uh, the briefing on his podcast. Shout out to Al Mohler's podcast, The Briefing, by the way. Really what, what? helpful stuff. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he said, can Christians be faithful without gathering? So in light of Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, right? And I think it's verse 25 where he says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but you get together, you encourage each other and so on. So in light of that command to gather, can Christians be faithful and obedient without gathering? And his answer was yes, for a time. The church is flexible. The church is agile. We can adjust to things. Um, at the time, we didn't really know what we were dealing with, with the virus, you know, and things like that. So we can protect our neighbors in this in this way. But he also said, it's got limits. At a certain point, if you're not gathering just because the local magistrates have said, don't gather, well, there's a higher authority to answer to. And at some point, you got to say, yeah, we're getting back to it. So where's the line between when that becomes... A sec- where that's a secondary issue. Hey, I think we should gather. Well, I don't think we should yet. That's that's a good discussion, but it's not a primary issue. At some point, though, somebody's being disobedient, you know, and that's been a hard line for the Western church, to, well, probably the global church, just to figure out. So when does something become a primary issue? You were asking me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I figure we'll ask producer Tim over there. Yeah. <laughs> It's a tough one, man. I, there's, I, I think that one of the things we didn't we didn't do everything right in the shutdown. I'm sure we'll look back in five years and be like, "Oh, stupid, mm-hmm. stupid, stupid." One of the things that I am glad that our elder team did was we came out and said we're not going to make all the right decisions, and at some point somebody has to step out front and just decide something, mm-hmm. right? And that's what elders are here for. So let us know when you think we're wrong. Be gracious with us. Be patient with us, and um, the unity of the church is something that Jesus died for, and we need to protect that. And everybody was so cool about it. I, I was not because I was surprised. Like I love my grace and truth, homies. But like, it, you know how you can be surprised by something you actually kind of expected anyway. It was that sort of deal. I was so impressed with how the church handled it. So I was like, all right. So the, the gathering thing, primary issue, secondary issue. Where's the line? These are really tricky things. But that's why God put elders in place, mm-hmm. and that's why God gave the same spirit to his church so that we could actually be unified through some of these murky issues. Yeah. Well, I think, it, and especially when you think about the gathering, I think when one of the things that at, at my former church, yo, yo, GBC, good to see, good to hear you. Um, uh, we, um, a number of our pastors, what we did is we made a decision on, okay, how are our sheep being shepherded? Mm-hmm. And if we started to see gaps and we started to see a lot of struggle because of the, 
uh, because of the non-gathering together, we had to step in and we mm-hmm. had to start making some decisions on that. And so that did lead to some civil disobedience on our part, which was yeah. a little bit more difficult because we're, again, we're right across City Hall, so from City yeah. Hall. But it was something that it was not taken lightly. And there were there were definitely people that thought we waited too long. There were people thought that thought we we should have we should have not done anything and, sure. and and we should have just completely complied and um you know for me what really got me is when when all of a sudden i was told i couldn't sing mm-hmm. i was like no, i'm sorry i mean yeah. if, especially if you're at grace and truth and you hear me in you know, the last couple last several services i like to sing loud so for me to like try and not to sing especially when someone's talking about who jesus is and i mean i i can't do that when i'm at a football game if someone makes a touchdown my hands are going up and i'm cheering real loud if someone talks about doctrine and theology i'm getting we're talking about the resurrected Christ. Amen. It's it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. So when so I we did. Had, however, yeah. I did hear on Sunday because first service, you and me were standing uh, pretty close to each other, and we were both blasting. You know, I think it was the kind of it was a snowball thing. Mm-hmm. You sang louder, I sang louder. So you sang louder, so I sang louder, and whatever. And um, yeah, I I did have somebody tell me like that hurt my ears. So I have to go to the opposite side of the room. I think <laughs> I think we got to put it in stereo from now on. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so there, there, that was a uh, that was an ecclesiological adjustment that you guys just witnessed on the Hungry for Wisdom podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, primary and secondary issues are important to suss out. I think there's also um, stuff that we could put as I, I think this. You know, we could call them tertiary issues, and I want to be careful because I don't know the word for what comes after tertiary. So I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna cap this at a tight three. All right, and and those are issues that honestly are just matters of preference. You know, nobody really in the end cares mm-hmm. at all and or nobody should care and if somebody does care and it becomes a primary issue you just have an attitude problem right so a tertiary issue would be you know musical style you know get over it like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know by the way i just want to say this as a pastor um there is no pastor who loves every song and every <laughs> style of music that has ever been but the thing is pastors are expected to have a little bit of maturity and not care a whole lot right because there's something else happening other than our preferences getting met we're not consumers instead you know there's more important things going on so um, and i think that's a really important point especially when we talk about those areas of worship because so mm -hmm. many times we go to a church why because we like the way the music sounds that is so a consumer idea instead of i'm actually part of the chorus that's supposed to be singing to this jesus yeah instead of and and instead of going well i'm really not fed by the songs or more specifically yeah Yeah. we go there because of the way the music makes us feel agreed yeah 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 we're led by our emotions like unthinking animals second peter 2 would say ouch it's a thing man when you yeah you treat you treat a church like a supermarket and you wind up being this real like uh, curmudgeon, you know, C.S. Lewis, would, I got to be careful how I pronounce this. C.S. Lewis would call them prigs, you know, just these, these priggish people that stand back in judgment of everybody. And that's what happens when we end up in a consumer driven culture. So tertiary issues become primary issues by which we will write off an entire body of Christ that God might've had us to function in. Right. Amen. So, uh, Augustine laid it out, I think in the most helpful way. And you were, you were saying it, uh, earlier. Yeah. Well, uh, was it this right here? Yeah, that was it. Okay. <laughs> Basically, when we talk about these issues, in essentials, we need to be, in, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. We got to treat each other as as co-laborers and, and co-heirs with Christ. And yeah. so if I have a disagreement with someone, 
on even even on a secondary issue, possibly and most certainly on a on a tertiary issue, and whatever the fourth level issues might be. Yeah, qu- you know, quadrinary. Yeah, exactly. We just went there. Like Got to be charitable. Got to think yeah. of them as a brother in Christ, or as a sister in Christ. And if we and if we can at least agree at that level, great. Yeah. Now, if it's if it's someone who's denying the gospel. Totally different thing. Yeah, and when we when he says in all things charity, that all has limitations, right? That's like yeah. inside of Orthodox Christianity. So you know, sometimes you got to shoot a wolf. You know, it's, Amen. You don't you don't need to have charity about that. You might not have to be rude while you do it, but you got to deal with that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, all right, cool. So the, the I think the takeaway issue here is that not everything is a ten. Agreed. Sometimes, like we got it, we got to be able to have a dial and say this issue I disagree, and I disagree at a three. Or I disagree at a four point two, but this is not a ten, and it's it's all right. By the way, you get you learn a lot when you do that, right? You, you get to gain from others, you get to sharp, you get sharpened from others. We're doing this series on eschatology right now, and there are going to be disagreements about how a certain passage is interpreted, or you know, I'll, I'll say, well, that's being compared to this other text in the Old Testament, and somebody will say, no, it's really should be compared to that one. These are really great learning opportunities. But if you take it to a 10 and it becomes a primary issue, you've cut yourself off from the ability to be sharpened by somebody else's iron sharpens iron, right? So again, we come back to humility is a precursor to wisdom. Therefore, we will leave you guys to contemplate these things and we will see you on the next episode where we take the next chunk of Proverbs and deal with some more uh, pastoral questions. Uh, We're out. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.